Welcome everyone. I am so glad that you could join me for a general good time. I want to welcome each and every one of you into this space. And I am beyond excited and grateful to have you all present in this moment with me. With that being said, I wanted to introduce this week's topic. As the title suggests, this is the very first episode of the mini-series, all about love, intimacy, sacrifice, and 36 questions, featuring Eli and Sarah. This will be a multiple-part series inspired by the first book in the trilogy by Bell Hooks titled All About Love's New Visions, which was originally published in 2000. Each week, we will be exploring a range of different topics, including but not limited to the following, body images self-esteem, family, relationships, trauma, etc. These will not be in sequential order, however some episodes will reference elements of previous episodes, but please do not feel pressure to watch every single part of this series as some topics may be potentially triggering. Nonetheless, it's still important to cover so please do what you have to do to take care of yourself and feel free to check out lighter episodes if you need. With that being said, I wanted to welcome today's guest. Hi, I'm Eli and I'm 23 years old and <laughs> I'm Libra. Hi, I'm Sarah. I am 26 years old and I'm an Aquarius. Thank you, Eli and Sarah, for today's podcast. I also wanted to kind of break the ice and ask a question. So based off today's theme, do you all believe in true love or love at first sight? Wait, Lena, how old are you? What's your sign? <laughs> yeah, who are you? I feel, I feel like I've already like introduce myself like a bajillion times but i'm lena if you all don't know i'm also 23 and my astrological sign is a virgo gross. what did you say <laughs> gross and you know it anyways the icebreaker question for today yeah do you all believe in true love or love at first sight eli do you want to go first I, I believe in like infatuation at first sight and i also believe in meeting someone that's a good fit but i don't really i think notions of true love or things like the perfect match are actually you know notions like that are the reason why relationships fall apart because they're just unreasonable expectations but that's just me <laughs> oh my god your turn okay what about you sarah wow um no i don't think that there's true love or love at first sight like eli said i think that you can be infatuated at first sight and it's happened to me a few times sure but i think that you grow and learn to love the person that you're with i think for myself i don't necessarily believe in love at first sight but i do like the it's a japanese expression um that basically means like the feeling where you first meet someone and then you feel like you're gonna eventually fall in love with them so i like that concept a lot because i don't necessarily think that like you're falling in love with them at first sight, but you feel like you're going to fall in love with them eventually. I think once you get to know them. So I don't know if that's still love at first sight technically, but I kind of like the idea of like, I don't know, getting a feeling that you're going to love someone. So I, I don't know, when I think of it like that, I just think that that's really sweet. <laughs> Spoken like a true Virgo. I'm yeah, nice. like a true Virgo. <laughs> so, Basically for today, we're going to go into our first section. So how we're going to structure it is that we're basically going to talk about the five love languages and then the four attachment styles. And then later on, we're going to go through New York Times 36 questions to fall in love. And so I'm super excited to have Eli and Sarah on as my first guest because they're both very introspective. So I hope that you all as listeners will be able to get more insights than just having to listen to myself week to week. So I'm excited. So I'm going to basically introduce what the five love languages are. So 
Today we are exploring the five love languages, which was coined by American author and PhD Gary Chapman. So the best-selling novel is a part of the series, with the first being titled The Five Love Languages: How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate, which was published in 1992. So it has sold over 20 million copies worldwide and has been translated into 50 languages. So we have all taken the quiz that helps us categorize、uh, what our own languages are, and in terms of what we personally like to give to others and what we like to receive. So I want to preface that although Dr. Dr. Chapman wrote this in the context of romantic relationships. That this can be applied to relationships in general, romantic or otherwise. I also want to state that you can find yourself relating to multiple different love languages, and that what you like to give may be totally different from what you like to receive. So keep that in mind if you decide to take the quiz. In terms of what the five love languages are. I'm going to be referring to the article via Psychology Today that breaks down each category with examples. Basically, it's going to be words of affirmation, gift giving, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. I recommend checking out that article for examples because it's it's going to be a lot. But we're definitely going to be breaking it down today. So, yeah. In terms of the results of the quiz. For myself, actually, quality time turns out to be my primary love language. I'm really shocked because I think that usually words of affirmation is very strong, but I really like how the five love languages quiz format breaks down the, by percentage. So, quality time is my highest at 33%, which is really close. Second place is words of affirmation at 30%. Receiving gifts is 20%. Acts of service is 13%, and for myself, physical touch is 3%. So, quality time—how they basically define it—is that it's basically spending、uh, uninterrupted time with your significant other, or, or you know, having connections and stuff like that. Like, you don't necessarily need to be engaging with each other directly, but it's just spending time in each other's presence. And so, I'm super surprised at that. But what about you all? What were your results and stuff? My results were 40% quality time, 27% words of affirmation. 20 acts of service, 13 physical touch, and zero receiving gifts. I don't, I don't really know how I feel about these. I do, I guess they're kind of accurate because I feel like my friends or my close relationships are very proximity based, and how often I see people, and the rest of them were like a toss up between which I disliked least. What about you, Sarah? So I'll just list mine:、um, 37% quality time, 33% acts of service, 13% receiving gifts, 10% words of affirmation, and 7% physical touch. I think, like in terms of which one I like to receive more, definitely it would be quality time.、Um, within my close circle of friends, I really put away a lot of time to see them at least once a week or once every two weeks. And with friends that I'm trying to get closer to, I always try to make time to see them at least once a month. So I think that's true. And for the rest of them, I feel like、um, I do enjoy like acts of service, but not as much as I enjoy quality time. And it's just a toss-up between like what I prefer least. After that. So I wanted to ask you all. So, do you feel like these results? Like, where do you think they stem from? I can go first. I guess. Like, I don't really like spending time with my family that much because I live at home, and I see them too often. So I think it would be obvious that like I prefer quality time with other people in my life, and physical touch being like at seven percent surprises me、um, because like. 
I I personally don't like to be touched by other people and that's just like a reflection of things that have happened to me in the past XOXO yeah I mean for me I think working up from like my lowest to highest ranked I guess zero percent for receiving gifts I think this is just because growing up I don't really gifts weren't really a part of my childhood or just like growing up in general so receiving objects has never really brought me any joy i sometimes people will get me things and it's almost never what i want um which is fine i appreciate the thought but it's also even if they do get me something that i'm like oh that's neat it's it doesn't really inspire any found emotions within me i think it's also because i grew up with the mentality that i have everything that i need that like to not want more but yeah that's, that's something else uh 30 physical touch i also have been pretty avoidant of physical contact with people ever since i was a kid a lot of it came with me always thinking that someone approaching me was someone trying to hit me so that's also not wonderful uh, and then acts of service words of affirmation i think yeah i think all of this is really just things that I didn't really have in my childhood. So like these weren't things that I understood to be ways of showing or receiving affection. And so quality time, just I guess most naturally, just seeing someone more often will inspire more feelings of, I guess, like, companionship, <laughs> companionship, affection, right? It, it is what it is. I guess I have to see you. I guess I see you too often. Yeah. I don't know. Well, thank you both for, you know, sharing where you all think your results stem from. I think for me, like, I was really surprised because this is not my first time taking it. So actually, that's the that's the next question I'll pose to you all. Like, if if this is your first time taking it, like, how did it make you feel? And if not, have your results changed from the previous instance? It's not my first time taking it. And so the last time I took it was probably... I think in high school so this was oh my god to age myself this was probably 2015 2016 oh gross anyways uh when i took it words of affirmation was was almost at 50 percent, i believe like it was a bigger uh portion where i feel like this time around like my distribution for love languages with the exception of physical touch which has always been relatively low i feel like actually it's gotten much lower because i believe when i when i originally took it it was like third on the categories but it's actually like at three percent which is very very low um so I, I was kind of surprised that quality time took the cake but i also think that it's a sign of um quarantine i think the fact that you know i took for granted like being able to spend time with people that i care about and so not having quality time and having that stripped away from me i think made me want it more so i think recently now that i take it today i took it today in 2022 now that we're like two years into the pandemic i'm missing quality time a lot more but words of affirmation is still very strong for me and i think in terms of physical touch like i think similar to what eli and sarah said like i just never really i also think personally it stemmed from my dislike of my own body so i didn't like how my body looked i didn't like how i carried myself or i was taught to kind of dislike my body so i think as a result it was like extension i felt like my body was disgusting so i felt like other people didn't want to 
didn't want anything to do with that so it's almost like i didn't like physical touch but it also stemmed from like other instances that i won't really get into but anyways um for you all yeah so is this your first time taking it and if so how did it make you feel and if not have your results changed from the first time you took it this is the first time that i recall <laughs> taking it um i feel like i've been told to take this before but i have either not completed the test or i just never remembered the results uh so how this made me feel i was like yeah sounds about right it's it also I, the questions seem a little skewed i will say like the because you're selecting between sets of questions so it's not a very doesn't feel very accurate but you know i'm not a scientist that's fair and then what about you sarah um this isn't the first time that i've taken it actually but i I never remember what the test is like, so it feels like the first time that I'm taking it. Um, I think the first time that I took it, a friend asked me to take it, and my like number one result was receiving gifts. But then I learned quickly that I'm kind of a weird person, and people don't really know what kind of gifts to give me if they're not outright asking me. So after many gifts that I did not like, I feel like after taking this the second time around, the answers feel much more true to self what about metamorphosis by Franz kafka yeah metamorphosis yeah not y'all finding a way to include this i can't stand y'all one day i would truly like to wake up as a giant cockroach and then still continue to scuttle my way to work sarah can you elaborate a little bit on who is this Franz kafka is and what what the what the what we're referring to right now you know who Franz Kafka is. I don't know if the listeners know. Literary icon. <laughs> and if you went to SFUSD, you know what Metamorphosis is. Yeah, you know that book. Can so can you all can you all explain in like layman's terms what Metamorphosis is? Yeah, one day you just wake up as a giant cockroach and you still go to work. Yeah, and your family tries to kill you with a broom. Yeah, it's it's great. All right. It's like a second puberty. Yeah. Truly, I would like to experience it. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for breaking that down. I think I also wanted to ask you all too, uh, really quickly. So when we took this quiz, obviously this is giving us our love languages for what we'd like to receive. I wanted to ask you all in turn, do you feel like the love languages you'd like to receive are the same ones you'd like to give? So how would you show your like show love to other people and those you're close to? So do you all like is it the same? Is it different? Like how do you all feel? I think it's very different for me. I feel like I tend to do things for people. So I guess that's like acts of service. And I also tend to buy things for people if I feel like they need it or if they've told me that they need it and for whatever reason for whatever reason they can't get it for themselves. So I feel like for me, it's a lot more, I'm trying to cater to what people, what I feel that people need and meet them there. What about you, Sarah? In terms of what I like to give, my results are pretty similar. I like to spend a lot of time with people that I enjoy seeing. And um, I like, you know, performing acts of service to people. If I know that I can do something to help them or to make their day better, I would. I think for me, I think words of affirmation and, and gift giving. So I'm not the best at giving people necessarily what they want, but I will give them unnecessary things that I think 
that they will like. So grant- I understand. I'm crying. No, <laughs> but I like. Yeah, I like. Giving- I've never gotten anything. Huh? What does this say about your relationship? Wait, with well, you know what? I want unnecessary things. Do you want it? I have it in my room right now. I'm crying. You <laughs> bitch. <laughs> anyways well what i'm trying to say by like gift giving is like or i like things where it's like oh if i know i'm at a boba shop like do you want something to drink or if i know i'm like whatever it's like things like that and i thought i was more affirming than i actually was i think i i have a tendency to to assume that people know that i care about them without actually saying it because i assume that everyone around me is mind readers something that i'm trying to trying to work on um so i actually think that gift giving is probably more of my primary uh love language yeah definitely even though it may not be super accurate to what the other person wants like i'll do it whether or not they want it or not but now that we've gone through the five love languages i wanted to segue into the four attachment styles so i'm going to give a brief introduction about what the attachment styles are and essentially where we got our information from. The attachment project was founded by Jock Gordon and it explores attachment theory, which is a psychological, evolutionary, and ethological theory concerning relationships between humans. The most important tenet is that young children need to develop a relationship with at least one primary caregiver for normal social and, and emotional development. So I guess we're all not normal. Um, <laughs> Okay. I'm underdeveloped. I can't. There are four attachments. I have issues. Freud would say we all have mommy issues. <laughs> That's not true. I have daddy issues. First time <laughs> I have daddy issues. <laughs> we both have daddy, daddy. Yeah, we have daddy issues too. I'll piss you daddy's dead. Oh. Is that really an issue? What, what do you mean? That's, I guess I guess there was right. That isn't an issue if they're, they're six feet under. Not an issue no more. <laughs> <laughs> there are four attachment styles, and I'm going to pass it off to both Eli to go over the first two and Sarah to go over the next two. And so these are also via the attachment project. So go ahead, Eli. Yeah, you know, just so just so the listeners know, this feels like I'm in elementary school and they make us do that reading test where they like make you read off a little <laughs> screen and this is exactly that. I understand. Yeah, okay. This is terrible. Number one, anxious preoccupied. For adults with an anxious attachment style, the partner is often the better half, and the thought of living without a partner or being alone in general causes high levels of anxiety. People with this type of attachment typically have a negative self-image while having a positive view of others. The anxious adult often seeks approval, support, and responsiveness from their partner. And the second type is avoidant dismissive. The dismissing avoidant type would often perceive themselves as lone wolves, strong, independent, and self-sufficient, not necessarily in terms of physical contact, but rather on an emotional level. These people have high self-esteem and a positive view of themselves. To cut in, so for me personally, I don't fully agree with this point because I find that avoidance behaviors are often a coping mechanism to hide a lower sense of self-esteem, but maybe I'm just projecting, okay? But anyways, sorry, that was just the cut in point. Because uh, I don't necessarily think that people who are dismissive avoidant necessarily have a high self-esteem high self-esteem or necessarily a positive view of themselves i think that might be a little too inconclusive but i mean that's not saying that all dismissive avoidant right because people are not in a box but yeah that was the one caveat i wanted to list but go ahead continue and i necessarily i don't necessarily think at all but um yeah me too <laughs> all right the dismissing avoid why are you laughing lena all right the dismissing avoidant type tends to believe that they don't have to be in a relationship to feel complete they do not 
want to depend on others, have others depend on them, or seek support and approval in social bonds. Okay, number three, disorganized slash fearful avoidant. The disorganized type tends to show unstable and ambiguous behaviors in their social bonds. For adults with this style of attachment, the partner and the relationship themselves are often the source of both desire and fear. Fearful avoidant people do want int intimacy and closeness, but at the same time experience troubles trusting and depending others on others. They do not regulate their emotions well and avoid strong emotional attachment due to their fear of getting hurt. Number four is secure attachment. In contrast to the first three attachment styles, which can also be characterized as insecure attachment styles, the fourth one, which is the secure attachment style, implies that a person is completely comfortable expressing emotions openly. Adults with a secure attachment style can depend on their partners and in turn that their partners rely on them. Relationships are based on honesty, tolerance, and emotional closeness. The secure attachment type thrive in their relationships, but also don't fear being on their own. They do not depend on the responsiveness or approval of their partners and tend to have a positive view of themselves and others. Now that we have gone over the four attachment styles, we're going to segue into discussing the quiz that helps us determine what our own attachment styles are and discuss our results. So Eli, do you want to start us off? Sure. Yeah, so we're, we're just all sharing our results first, right? Mm -hmm. So I got disorganized, fearful, avoidant. What about you, Sarah? Um, I got dismissive, avoidant. And for me, similar to Sarah, I also got dismissive, avoidant. Okay. All right, all right, all right. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's me. Right? Yeah, that's me. Right? Disorganized, fearful, avoidant. Um, yep. Uh, it's... It is what it is. It is. It is what it is. It is. Um, it's exactly what I've been hearing in therapy. You know, I felt like it lined up really well with um, how I grew up and how I've become who I am today. I, I think like a part of it, um, I read the description of what this personality type or attachment type is like. And a part of it is you tend to want to develop close bonds with people but at the same time once you feel as if intimacy is occurring you are afraid of it and then you tend to push people away and i feel like that is what i tend to do i do seek intimacy but i also fear it and so it turns into a very strange game of push and pull where it's more pushing than anything <laughs> pushing from who it's just me pushing everything <laughs> <laughs> we are a metaphors podcast, by the way, so everyone enjoy the visuals. Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. That's, not what, that's not what I said. <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you, Eli, for sharing that. And then, Sarah, what about you? How do you feel about your results? Do you think they were accurate? And where do you think your results stem from? I mean, it is what it is. And don't all these results stem from trauma in our past, Alina? You would know this, wouldn't you? <laughs> if you don't just continue on your own, do not come. <laughs> no, I, I think it's the part of like, my upbringing, of course, is plays a large part in it. Um, and it's not like I actively avoid intimate relationships, but I do feel like I don't really necessarily seek it out mm. to a degree. And I do feel like at 
at some point I'll be fine without intimate relationships with people. And I think it shows when I'm on like a lot of dating apps or whatever, and people are trying to get to know me better. Or people who haven't known me for a long time would know that like, I'm kind of a hard person to get to know. Wow, it seems like I love taking these these style quiz. I actually did take this like before, um, which is the next question I want to post to you all too. Like, have you all taken this attachment style quiz before? And if not, if this is your first time, like, how did it make you feel? So for me, uh, I took this again back in high school, but then I also took it again recently. Like, I guess recently, as in like 2020. But I think honestly, it's crazy how it's 2022 now. But I took it back in 2020, and like so similar to Eli so it's kind of interesting now that I've I've become dismissive avoidant but you know what it is I think it's also because I find myself becoming more emotionally unavailable um and I also think that uh so there's a description that says the roots of this attachment style are based in perceived rejection so the parents did not necessarily reject the child actively but the child's needs were not met which was perceived as a form of rejection I kind of relate to that too where it's like my my family in particular, especially, I mean, both my mom and my dad. So to preface, my dad passed away when I was uh, early middle school. So both my mom and dad were very strong caregivers in the aspect of like as Asian Americans, like they grew up kind of like uh, valuing like sacrifice and like stuff like providing financially, making sure there was food on the table. So emotional intimacy is not really a thing nor were there ever conversations to kind of discuss feelings so some of the questions that were asked during the attachment uh style quiz which i thought were really interesting were like um do you feel like you can talk to like you know your parents or do you feel like when you're feeling down or like what your true feelings are that you can like like share these with your parents um i found that i was more close to my dad than i was to my mom because in a way that kind of combats traditional gender norms. Dad was the one who raised us and my mom was the one who was working constantly. So, you know, this was obviously in my early childhood. So this was prior to the age of 12. Um, so I felt like I could talk to my dad more than I could talk to my mom. But both of them, I couldn't really tell them when I was feeling upset. Like it wasn't like I could turn to them to talk about my problems. Cause I felt like I was oftentimes dismissed so it was more so like i i think quickly i learned that people didn't really care what i had to say so i just kind of stopped saying things um i think that's the reason why i have dismissive avoidant attachment styles or i find that i'm emotionally unavailable because it's not necessarily that i'm more independent it's just that i felt like people didn't really care anyways because the times that i had tried to speak I was met with just kind of like apathy either they didn't really care or it was just like actively like oh what are you talking about like you like we don't really care so it was like either it was active disdain or it was neutral so i kind of just learned quickly to not say anything um but yeah what about you all so is this your first time taking it or it, have you taken it before and is it different i think we've both taken it at least twice i for one was a little bit tipsy when I took it. I don't remember what the results were for the first one, but I'm sure they're probably the same. And again, it has a lot to do, it stems probably from a large part of my upbringing and how I always felt like 
inferior at home, I guess. I have a younger brother and he was born like really quickly, two years after me. And due to some certain circumstances, my parents paid a lot more attention to him. So I felt like I always had to do more and perform better as like a solo unit. Um, a lot of my relationships with my parents, they don't really understand who I am. So a lot of times when we're like, quote unquote, talking through our feelings, it's a lot of arguments. So I always felt like aggression was the only way that I could get through with my parents. I, I feel like for me, I've been pretty consistent in my results. It's always been fearful, avoidant. And I think also it really does stem from my upbringing. Um, similar, not similar, but actually, yeah, like I have an older brother. He's four years older than me. And my parents weren't really around to take care of me when I was a kid. It was really my grandparents. But so they're very traditional Chinese um you know, immigrants. And so I was kind of like the transparent kid. They never really paid attention to me. I was always an afterthought. So yeah, my brother was just always the center of attention for the longest time. Um, actually, yeah, when I was very young, I fell off the vanity and I broke my arm and they didn't take me to the hospital until like a whole day afterwards. And it was that's just, that was just like the level of um, just like, the lack of care towards me and yeah like my mom isn't horrible towards me but she was also just not there and so there was just a lot of inconsistency in in terms of the way that i was raised and i think it taught me to not trust others and to not believe that others would want to take care of me in any shape or form but yeah thank you both for reflecting and just kind of breaking down some of the results I think the reason why in general like I wanted to bring up attachment styles in relation to love is that I feel like there's a misconception with love that love is almost exclusively regarded as romantic love but I think that when we're talking about our upbringing specifically our environment in a household where obviously just it's not always biological but i'm talking about in the essence of like people who are supposed to or people who have been in the role of caregiving kind of the different ways that that looks like and i, I think how that is intimately tied with love i think the reason why att attachment styles is important is because just like how you all are reflecting how it stems from early childhood the shit carries until we're in, we're adults right all of us are are the same age and you know even though we're still relatively young right I mean, I was reminded by my mom earlier that I'm 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 no longer a kid, um, and that's absolutely correct. But these, the way that we were raised, obviously doesn't mean that you know you can't unlearn and you can't begin to to grow or to heal from that process. It's just it's important to to connect attachment styles with love too, because these attachment styles also will carry in our friendships, our relationships with other people, and you know our relationships with our families. So. I wanted to kind of reflect on that and also ask you all if you have any final thoughts, any last things that you all want to share? No, I think that we should all live as a hermit, probably on some coastaway island where we can waste away in our years. Well, thank you both for providing your insights for the attachment styles. So I'm going to segue into the final section of today's topic, which is the infamous New York Times 36 questions to fall in love. And so 
Essentially, I'm going to be quoting from Mind Body Green. They have an article by Kelly Gonzalez. Basically, kind of breaks down where the 36 questions come from. So, it's a quote from the article, which says the so-called 36 questions to fall in love are a set of questions developed in the 1990s by psychologists Arthur Aaron and Elaine Aaron. So they're both doctors and other researchers to see if two strangers can develop an intimate connection just from asking each other a series of increasingly personal questions. So the experiment actually became massively popular after New York Times Modern Love column published an essay by Mandy Lynn Catrone in 2015 about her experience trying the questions with an acquaintance whom she went on to marry. Okay, so um, I shout out to Eli. So Eli actually chose the questions for tonight. So there's a set of three questions. These questions to win because we're, we should make this into a game where Lena's going to give points. To right? marry one of us, right? Yeah, to marry one of us, right? No, no we're just going to answer the questions. <laughs> you know, this is unfair. We've talked about this before and you said you would. So I don't see why you're taking it back now. What are y'all talking about? I thought we are just going through and answering the questions. Come on, I've never won. Oh my god. You yeah, know. we've done this so many times and I've never won. For for context, I've I've tried to play this game with Lena so many and times. So many other people. And so yeah, and like <laughs> ten other people. And I've lost every time. So have I. These questions, in my personal opinion, so obviously like these are supposedly questions developed by like actual professionals, but I don't know if these 36 questions will necessarily make me fall in love with, with some of my friends. <laughs> so I think you know for like strangers, some of these questions are really uh bold to ask. It's the greatest accomplishment in your life. I ate 12 plates of lamb at Hot Pot. I love this for you. And I appreciate you for this every time. Let's break down each of the questions. So how the New York Times categorize the 36 questions is that um they come in three different sets so just like how earlier we were talking about how each of the questions become increasingly personal um we're gonna basically pick so eli actually chose for us we chose a question from each set and i'm going to have us each basically respond to the questions uh i also recommend that if you all are curious um to check out the article linked and they have all 36 questions i think it's a fun game to play even with your friends so it doesn't have to be with strangers but i also think it might be a fun uh, maybe not a first date. The New York Times will charge you after five free articles, so you can just look it up and get it off the. No, if, uh, if you website. have a library card, this is a cool tip. If you have a library card, specifically a San Francisco library card, they have a free subscription to the New York Times. They owe money to the library. That's right. I'm refusing to pay. That it. is a personal. Problem. Well, <laughs> you can just look it up on their website. It's free there as well. There's no need for a New York Times I'm article subscription. Crying. Or a library card in this Thank world. Thank you, Eli, for the tip. Um, that is that is hilarious. Um. <laughs> that's, that's real sad. That's depressing. First of all, I don't know how to count. So it's from middle school, but it felt like I was three. I owe 17-ish dollars to the SF Public Library, and I'm not going to pay it off anytime soon. Turn your books? What's wrong you know with you? No, they got you? rid of overdue I don't know where it is. Sarah. <laughs> well... They can't charge you. It's still on my card. You pay the 17 bucks. You think I'm rich? In this city? You don't go and just pay the portal. Anyway. 
Sorry. Let's go. <laughs> All right, so let's let's check your libraries. All right, people love your libraries; they're important. I'm running away from the SF public library. Thank you, Eli, again for letting our listeners know that you can get a free New York Times subscription if you're at SF public library. So thank you. Um, so let's go to the first question. Really testing my reading comprehension. All right, I can't help you. If you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? Again, this is question number ten in set one. So this is the one of the supposedly the more uh, like surface level questions. I don't know. I feel like this is pretty deep. Um, I think for me, if I could change anything about the way that I was raised, um, is I think for me is to express my emotions in a kind of like healthier manner. But this also includes emotions that are not necessarily typically regarded as like positive emotions i'm talking about like anger in particular i think that had i been ex- had i been allowed to express my anger um that i think a lot of the mental health issues like depression anxiety that i'm dealing with now probably would have been a lot easier to handle i think because i also think that it would have allowed me to address some of these issues uh long long term um easier because i think i learned like early on that to not rock the boat and culturally too like saving face and was really important and so i learned that anything that was like remotely bad like or not even bad anything that was remotely not happy was bad so this included especially since when i was upset i would cry and i used to feel really inferior because my eyes would water as a natural reaction to stress. I hated that. Uh, I also oftentimes compared myself to my younger sibling, who is two years younger than me, who at that who was much more better at expressing anger. But in a way, I you know, similar to previous episodes where I talked about like establishing a role self, like because I grew up in an environment where anger was tied in with violence. I couldn't separate the two and I didn't want to reproduce violence as in I refuse to to hit people or to be physically violent and so then in a way I kind of associated that with also not being angry obviously that's in, that's not sustainable right so I never understood why I would be irritated at the smallest things like literally ev- everything would irritate me like I would get obviously because this is obviously signs of like repressed anger like i decided that i hated who i was as a child because i felt like you know i felt like i i wasn't good enough in the aspect and so because i had these feelings of of anger and like kind of like everyone else right you know i'm recognizing now right but because i was taught to feel ashamed of that i kind of developed a I know I like a different side of myself or basically a, a ideal version of myself that I I wanted to carry but I feel like if I had just allowed myself to express my anger normally or just not I don't know just in general because I feel like it would help with my communication style and I think my relationships with people would be stronger too because to be quite honest even now like I'm working on trying to do that but I don't really know how to express my anger in a healthy manner like oftentimes it would be 
like I would turn the the anger towards myself or I would lash out on other people and like project about things that they didn't even do like I would I would get upset at them and or I wouldn't communicate and so I feel like if I had just allowed myself to be angry in the moment and just be honest with it instead of trying to deny that I was angry because of pride or whatever and also recognizing that I want to preface right like violence physical violence and anger are not the same like I don't want to correlate the two like there might be like moments where they're connected but I I, I want to make sure that there's a distinction between being physically violent and anger because anger is just an emotion anger is not an action and so like I wish that I knew that and I wish that I didn't guilt myself into trying to be morally superior and I just allowed myself to be a kid and to get mad if someone tried to take my toys and just kind of left it at that instead of trying to put all of my quote-unquote negative feelings in a box and never addressing that so I feel like you know if I could change anything about that I wish that I just allowed myself to be mad Um, because I feel like it would be a lot more easier now because now I don't really know how to do that normally or healthily actually so but um what about you Eli? So one thing that my parents loved to tell me when I was younger was that I would have to work twice as hard as everyone else to get even half as far as they did and there was just a lot of casual cruelty in the way that they raised me and my brother too to be honest and I think that what it taught me was that what or it taught me several things that I knew to be true at the time that I was not enough that I had to work harder in order to receive any kind of acknowledgement or even care from them or from the world and that the world was a cruel place and I think growing up with those thoughts in my head it it made me a very bitter very small and angry person and it because I knew the world to be cruel I learned to be cruel myself and then I learned how to doubt kindness from others I learned how to doubt all of the relationships that I had with anyone else and it was just a miserable experience right and so I feel like if there was one thing that I could change I just really wish there was someone there to tell me that to show me what kindness really was how to be kind to yourself and to others and how to be you know open to the world right because living should be an experience you're not supposed to be born with a death sentence already on your head right but yeah what about you sarah sometimes <laughs> you good <laughs> i don't know maybe I'm, i don't know i think like what if i was raised by a pack of cockroaches yeah. which is what i think this question should be about <laughs> i see <laughs> no but i think like i when I was younger, I wish that there were a lot of things that I could change. That I wish that, like, you know, my parents would understand me and understand where I was coming from. And that, like, I didn't have to fight my parents almost on anything that I wanted to do. And that the way that we understood each other wasn't through aggression and through, like, verbal matches. Um, but, you know, I've, I've grown older and I've come to terms with the way that my parents have treated me when I was younger 
um, with the way that they raised me. And um, I understand the certain context for which um, the lives that they lived in China and the different types of experiences that they've had as immigrants in America. And, you know, as someone who's not old, but okay-ish, um, I'd say like, there's not really anything that I wish I could change because I wouldn't be who I am today. And by who I am, I mean, someone whose aggression is natural. <laughs> Being angry is a right. Absolutely. And normal. Yeah. I mean, I just wished I was like excited about being alive when I was a kid. You know? Yeah, no, me too. But that's, that's different. <laughs> that's it's never too late, that's you know, to both of you. And like, it's never too late to be excited that you all are here. Like, I'm super excited. I'm grateful for you all. So I'm going to have Sarah introduce the next question that we chose from set two which was number, question number 15. Can you read out that question, Sarah? What is the greatest accomplishment of your life? Ooh, sounds like a bad one for all three of us. I feel like you're projecting. Yeah, I, I have an answer because I chose this question. Oh my God, really? I, I chose this question because <laughs> I, I was trying to, you know, get Lena to fall in love with me. I so, was crying. You know, but Lena's not prepared to fall in love with me or Sarah, it seems. But that's okay. that's okay. I don't that's want okay. Lena's love, anyways. Um. <laughs> if you don't, okay, sorry. Go okay. ahead, Eli. Ignore Sarah. So, yeah, no, I chose this because I never know how to answer this question. Like, mm -hmm. people will ask you to talk about your accomplishments, and I'm always like, I, I picture like awards and trophies, and I'm like, I don't got. And yeah, like you said, wolves. <laughs> <laughs> some wolves and some trophies, you know. But I'm like, I don't have those things. I don't. I've never won anything. I've never competed in anything. You've so many scholarships. That doesn't count. But, um, but yeah. doesn't it count? There's not really like an. I feel like I don't even know how I got it. But anyway, but it's your money. It, it's not my money. My mom took it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's your mom's money. It's my mom's money. It has nothing to do with me. But anyway, so, so recently I was talking to someone on the topic of having frozen images of people in your mind. Or, or yeah, just ha having known someone for a very long time. For example, I've known this person since I was in high school. And so it was like, do I have this stuck image of you from like five years? plus years ago like do I still think that you're that exact same person or like sometimes I do find myself falling into that habit where I've known someone for a really long time and maybe I haven't talked to them for a while right and so we just assume that we're all still like we were five years ago and that that's that's that and you know I actually the, the question came up like does it bother you that some people still think that I'm the same person that I used to be in high school and my answer was yeah, yeah, it does bother me because I didn't really, I didn't quite like myself in high school. I was very angry, very mean. And, you know, I put in a lot of work uh, or I went through a lot to, I feel like, grow. I feel like I've become a much better person. I feel like I've become kinder, more compassionate and just more patient. Thank you so much for that, Sarah. But I just feel like I've become a better person and I'm proud of that. And yeah, like I would, you know, five years ago, I would die before saying this, but I feel like the person that I've become is my greatest accomplishment because mm -hmm. like, I didn't think I would live past 21. 
I, I didn't think I'd be I mean, here. Rude. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I thought I used to live life like in very like I didn't look forward. I was very short-sighted in all of my life decisions. Everything just felt like I was living for tomorrow because I felt like that would be it. And so now I'm like, finally, for the first time, it feels like I'm actually looking ahead and I feel a lot lighter than I ever have. And so, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, in my mind, there's always pre-haircut you and then post-haircut you. Thank you. No, that's the two eras that I remember the most. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty similar. Like, I went through a lot of shit in high school, and I was really angry, super sad all the time. I didn't look forward to living. I, like, basically went to bed every night thinking, like, if you could just get past tomorrow, then, like, it's okay. And that's what got me through high school. And I didn't think that I was going to make it, like, to college or even, like, anywhere past that. But I'm here now. But thank you both for kind of, like, explaining what your thought process is for the greatest accomplishment of your life like i do want to preface that like it's super important right i think that both of your responses just makes me feel like very like lucky and like i'm proud of you all just for for how far you've come just because to preface like i've known these two for i mean technically we all went to the same middle school but we really reconnected i think I remember Lena. I was taking Chinese. I remember Lena from. Yeah, so I wanted to just shout you all out for your response for the greatest accomplishment because I think that's really important to acknowledge. I feel like with this question, I didn't want to take credit for like other people. So I don't know if I could like be like, I'm glad to have other people in my life. That's why I'm saying like, I'm still struggling with. Uh, with viewing myself in a positive light so i i think it would be a lie to acknowledge my own growth because i feel like i would be lying um so it's not that i don't want to like i i that's the thing i i think i have grown right and i'm i'm lucky because those around me that i feel close to have acknowledged that but i think personally i'm i'm trying to work on my self-esteem i have very very poor self-esteem um and I feel like if I were to list my own growth as an accomplishment, I don't know if that I would believe that. Unfortunately, like, it's not, I'm not necessarily proud of the fact that I don't like myself. It's something that I want. It's not something I should be ashamed. Well, I kind of cycle through that where it's like, I feel kind of guilty or I feel ashamed. Like, it's embarrassing, too, because it's like, I don't know. It's like back and forth. Um, so I think... In terms of like like a personal accomplishment, um, I think I'm going to answer maybe more in the traditional like or I guess the more like okay similar. I, I think so. I'm the first person in my family to graduate college, so I think I want to answer it like this um, because I think when especially when i was in high school things similar to y'all it was a very rough time but i think in particular um college was something that i had many people say no to like i think my college counselor she was not good 
um told me to aim low and told me that i shouldn't even apply to college because i wouldn't get in which is crazy because she's a college counselor uh she was fired but anyways um good riddance but it was a very like i had like lucky for me like you know i was going through it with similar like friends and stuff like that but it still felt very isolating because i think oftentimes for myself whenever i was stressed out and it was a very stressful time i tended to isolate myself too also because i i think in a way um i really cared about what i still care about what other people think but too much where i made like assumptions and so like i didn't think that i was gonna get to college and so i think for me when i decided what college i was gonna go to despite me actually i i don't like my college right but i think the decision to stick with what i actually was going to like the college choice that i wanted to despite not having approval from my mom or those but just my family and it was really hard because my immediate family I'm talking about my mom in particular was very much against me going to to college that college in particular and it was very very stressful because you know there was yeah i remember this because on mother's day we were driving um on the freeway and so i, I was very stressed out and i finally told her that i decided that i was going to school in boston and she stopped the car in the middle of the freeway um and told me to get out um and so it was really stressful and she said that she wasn't gonna go to my high school graduation she ended up going so i'm very grateful for that but it was a really stressful and tumultuous time in my life but i'm proud of myself for still doing it you know still following through i think even my first year of college i you know, I have a tendency to struggle. I keep up a lot of appearances. And so, you know, I joined a bunch of clubs. I tried to make as much friends as possible. I had two jobs, right? And I was still miserable, right? The only reason why I also stuck it through was because, you know, my mom told me that I wouldn't even last a year there. But I think for myself, like, I'm learning that at the end of the day, I'm going to do what I want. You know, um, I think during that time, I more actively practiced that. I think recently... I find that I'm still kind of scared, you know, now moving back home with quarantine, it's harder for me to to do what I want as easily as when I was in college and more independent. But I would say for me, those moments in which I put my foot down and decided to live for myself was one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. And I want to learn to continue to live for myself because at the end of the day, I'm not responsible for anyone else but myself. And so I want to practice that more and just practice not caring so much about what other people think. I mean, it's going to be a part of, of, of my life no matter what, because that's just how I was raised. But I just think putting myself first and, and, and also just, yeah, living my own life for me. Even if it meant that I was, I don't know, even if, if my decision meant that I was miserable at least I made that decision for myself and I could always change my mind eventually, right? So that for me, that's the greatest accomplishment of my life is just choosing choosing myself first. I also want to state now that if you're struggling with thoughts of suicide or worried about a friend or loved one, there's always help that is available. So please call the... Uh, I have linked um, and just put the resources in there, but call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273 8255 or talk 
or text talk to 741741 for free confidential emotional support 24 hours a day and seven days a week i just really want to put that out there because you know it's 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 completely you know what you're going through you're not alone you know please 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 reach you know if you know someone or if you yourself are struggling please don't hesitate to reach out to those resources i highly want to emphasize that like you're not alone and that please don't isolate yourself and that help is you know help is available so i just want to kind of preface that you know because you know what we're talking about is super heavy but it's definitely a reality and we want to shed light on that so just want to just want to put that out there last question so um eli can you read the question from set three question number 30. when did you last cry in front of another person or by yourself or and by yourself is it an and or would it be an and or an just or? copied and pasted it from the new york times article so just answer both in front of another person and by yourself. Who wants to go first? How about you? Me? It could be you. Could or it be could me. be Lena. It could be me. Uh, yeah, sure, it's me. Um, <laughs> last time I cried in front of another person, honestly, probably when I was really young, I used to cry a lot, especially when my dad was around because I was just horrified. And he'd always tell me, stop crying before I give you something to cry about. Which obviously to a child only makes them cry a little bit more. So I feel like that was probably the last time that I've, I hate crying in front of people. I, I developed the habit of picking the skin off of my hands to stop myself from crying. By myself, um, I've been crying a lot recently. I think it's because I'm getting old. Um, You're nearing your expiration date? Halfway there. Um... Maybe like two thirds. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I feel like I've been crying a lot more recently. So honestly, I feel like I cried like sometime last week. Um, just like nowadays, just watching like a TV show and seeing a happy family makes me cry. Yeah, I would cry too. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? <laughs> what about me? Yeah. Well, for me, my expiration date is uh, twenty three out of six thirty six right now. So who knows? I'm nearing it. Um, I think like. I've learned to stop crying in front of other other people. I also used to be quite a crybaby when I was younger. Uh, and um, once I got to a certain age, if I wanted to cry, my dad would tell me, what are you crying about? Crying is for babies. And you know, you learn that if you have time to cry, you have time to solve your problems. So I don't really like to cry in front of other people. I tear up when I'm watching movies with people, but that's the closest that I'm going to get. I don't think that counts. When was the last time? When was the last time? Probably like when I was eight. And then I wrote some really nasty messages on the wall of my home. <laughs> I love that for you. Um, by myself, I think I cried by myself uh, maybe two or three months ago, I was taking a different form of birth control and it really fucked my life up. And then I trashed my room and cried. Such is the life. Par for the course. Yeah, sounds about right. Sounds like another Thursday night to me. What about you, Lena? How are your Thursday thank you, nights? Thank you. I'm crying. <laughs> What's your experience? Thank you both for kind of uh, sharing this. Unfortunately, I wish crying was a more accepted or acceptable form of expressing emotions so i'm glad that like we're beginning to normalize that i think for me i cry a lot uh actually i, I cried in front of my brother today 
um because i was just overwhelmed i laugh when i feel kind of like awkward or nervous and so i remember like i actually wrote about this for like one of the applications to smith college for a full full stop transparency i think i might have said that i laughed at a funeral and i don't think that so they didn't they didn't get back to me um but i was trying to explain uh anyways but this is the conversation about crying um i was crying earlier this morning because i i just felt honestly i've been struggling a lot with uh body image it's always been a really big thing but recently it's been like really 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 hard to to manage uh and i'm just going back and forth between like a lot of high expectations i set on myself that aren't necessarily set out by those around me even like like nobody else is telling well nobody's actively saying these things whether or not they feel it or not that's something that i can't really verify right but i think for me i've just been really stressed out about like like just my physical and mental health i think the fact you know what's stressing me out i'm stressed out the fact that i'm depressed that makes me more depressed knowing that i'm depressed but since it's really crazy it's like meta i think because i i tend to avoid things that make me stressed out i wanted to avoid crying but then it but then it came out so it's like that i ended up just feeling overwhelmed this morning i didn't understand it really why i think it's just because i know i'm going through a depressive episode so it's kind of weird where it's like you're aware that you have a depressive episode but you can't really be dep- like literally what i told my brother when i was crying was that i don't have time to be depressed i think maybe like last week i was upset because it was just it's just more body image stuff i felt like i it's really weird i feel like i'm not yeah it was just just body image unfortunately but i think i'll i'll elaborate a little bit more about that on the next part part two anyways really quickly before we wrap up the first part of the mini series all together i wanted to ask you all if you have any parting words or a piece of advice you would like to give to the listeners after this week i feel like it's been a very heavy topic but not in a bad way and so i wanted to ask you too if you each have any final words you would like to give to our listeners yeah i'm kind of young but something that i've learned in life is that it's important to recognize that everything that you have is everything that you need because you've survived so far right right with the things that you have and that when you live with a mindset of i need to have this and i need to have that especially with relationships where you're just chasing things it's never gonna end well i think it's it's important to learn to live with yourself and be at peace with yourself and to really like the person that you are before you really start looking out towards the world but that's that's my opinion no thank you for that eli and sarah Uh, i think that you know relationships will come and relationships will go and if you want to maintain them you should put a little bit of work into maintaining the relationships that you enjoy having thank you both to eli and sarah um i just wanted to yeah just thank them for coming onto the podcast and providing their perspectives on this week's theme which again is love and love languages attachment styles and just love as holistically so i really could not have done it without them so special shout out to them again thank you both for just being on here and providing just your insights i really really appreciate that and 
to you all uh my listeners thank you for tuning in and just for all your support uh this mini series wouldn't have been possible if you all were not here so thank you for that and in terms of a parting piece of advice i think that um love love takes time and that right now if you know we kind of feel similar to how bell hooks states that we do kind of live in a loveless society that doesn't mean that there isn't a capacity for love and love manifests in different ways right it's a combination of all these different things so i recommend practicing if you can um some affirmations to yourself and just reminding yourself about one thing that you're grateful for uh and if you can practice that this is something that i want to practice too so you know i hope that you all can find that semblance of peace in your life so yeah so we have reached the end of this week's podcast episode which again concludes the first part of many in this mini series i hope you all have enjoyed it and if you do please consider liking following and sharing as this is much appreciated shout out again to our guests eli and sarah for being a part of this series if you yourself would be interested in being featured in this podcast or if you have any topic ideas or suggestions please feel free to email me at a general good time podcast at gmail.com as i check that regularly and would love to hear your thoughts you can also send direct messages on instagram to at a general good time podcast as we are actually on there as well until next time i hope you all have had a good time and a great rest of your week